Hello everyone. Welcome to Recast and I'm your host Saurabh Sardana. World around us has changed and recasted in a way that is difficult to imagine. It has become more complex and for some overwhelming. This podcast series is the result of my hunger to inspire individuals and companies to unlock growth value through the power of understanding societies and consumers. It's not the ideas but those who make ideas work will stay ahead. So I will dig into the untold stories and unfiltered content from people who have made these ideas work for them. Stay tuned. There is more to being right than just being factually correct based on the information we get every day. One can argue if the abundance of information has made the world a lot easier to understand. But the truth is that we humans are emotional creatures and behave irrationally all the time. Focusing on it can help businesses understand inherent biases and apply it to improve experiences for their customers. To discuss this and more, I'm joined by my guest Richard Bordenov, the CEO at BVA Nudge Unit APAC, which is a global consultancy pioneering in behavioral change and organizational transformation. Richard is passionate about solving complex challenges where human behavior is both parts of the problem and of the solution. Welcome to my show, Richard. Thank you for introducing with a very good French accent actually. <laughs> Richard, I think why don't we actually kick this off on a more broader note? Why don't you just, you know, give a quick background to our listeners um so that you know everybody's familiar with, you know, who you are, what you do, and then I think we'll just take this discussion forward. I've been in Asia for now a couple of uh, years, but I'm French as you could hear and I'm today leading the BVNO unit uh, APAC. So it's an applied behavioral science consultancy founded in France, but then we opened a few offices in UK, US and Singapore is the is the next one and I'm here to develop the business here. That's great Richard. I think you used the term behavioral science consultancy. Yes. For those who have never heard that term before, what does that mean? Basically, I come from the world of insights, so uh, from the world of market research and understanding customers, and more recently, academic field called behavioral uh, economics that has been enlarged to behavioral science, adding a, a few other sciences about understanding why we do what we do, has um, offered new opportunities for for brands to create interventions to change behaviors. So basically, what we do is we start from observing customers, understanding what is at play. like what is conscious non-conscious and try to find out solutions to influence behaviors in a positive way something that is usually called nudge from from the book from Taylor and Sustein so it's a, a gentle help to encourage behaviors um in based on the science of uh, behaviors richard what you just explained is very exciting i've seen uh, you know that in last 12 to 13 years insights industry you know has been disrupted in many ways right i mean i think in 2010 a new term got coined by the customer experience professional association in us and i think they they actually started calling any satisfaction or loyalty related work you know as customer experience and hence i think what that did was actually look at customer in uh, totality rather than sort of you know actually looking at a customer in silos right so i think that field has become very popular you know within organizations and i think everybody you know now would want to have a chief experience officer and you know would want to deliver great experience to their customers the second field that you just spoke about which is behavioral science or you know which actually comes from behavioral economics i think that's also a new way you know to look at customers and i think the starting point there is 
that, you know, people are irrational. What they say at times is not what they mean. And hence, I think, you know, there are different tools and techniques to understand the same customer in a slightly different way. The third term, you know, that gets uh, quite widely used, you know, within business circles is design thinking. And, and, you know, that again is an approach to actually look at a business problem in its most fundamental way. And then, you know, sort of try and figure out solutions that are applicable or, you know, that are more appropriate to an organization. There's so much happening around. How do you see and how do you really sort of, you know, put a framework around these three different ways of looking at customer or looking at a problem? And hence, I think if you were sort of setting up a new consultancy, uh, you know, how, how would you even explain it to a client that, you know, what they should be using and when? That's a broad question because you, you've mentioned three uh, three fields, but uh, I could add a few others like uh, like UX, like uh, like gamification. There, there's a lot of fields now related to what we call the human-centered methods. So anything that's that's related to understanding your user or your consumer or your customer uh, has become of uh, tremendous importance. But we we have to, maybe to to go back in a bit of in history of why is that today and why is everyone excited by new ways of approaching uh, the customer so maybe first if, if we look at design thinking uh, it's probably uh, PNG Alan Lafley former CEO who actually accelerated IDEO at a time when the big organizations have actually lost the contact with their customers so one way of uh, regaining let's say an intuitive understanding was to send to send people on the field and do their their own empathetic uh, work um, and so design thinking was uh, one way to regain understanding in a more emotional way of, of the customer I think on the other hand the, the digital transformation and startups, getting their customers skin to skin to understand their, their need uh, has led to the development of new methods like Lean Startup, where testing, learning, applying has become the new uh, paradigm of understanding the customer by getting getting in touch in, in a permanent way. So things have happened at the same time. And on the and in parallel, you mentioned behavioral science as a, a third way of understanding the customer, which has actually um, taken its roots in, into a the uh, public policy understanding and, and citizen understanding. And that um, has also brought some new insights uh, to show that we are irrational. And the customer experience term uh, was uh, coined by uh, Gilmore and uh, Pine uh, at a time when what they have added is that it's not about just the satisfaction, it's about the emotional understanding of what people are experiencing. And um, they have uh, helped marketing move from um, a persuasive method message to uh, something that's more multisensorial and that's more about uh, getting people engaged in, in, in the brand, not just through the message, but also through uh, the full experience, so the full journey. And technology has accelerated that a lot. So I would say what's common to the, these different fields is probably uh, the need to get back to your customers. And what's different, it's maybe the, the granulometry, like what, what problems are we trying to solve? And if um, if this would be the number one question I would ask if I had to open a new business tomorrow, what 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 is the the client problem uh, I want to solve? And in that case, what is the tool or what is the theory that's most adapted to that? And basically, each of them have their strengths and weaknesses, and they inform each other. But one thing that is very important is what is the effort as a brand uh, that I am ready to take to, to understand my customer or to solve the problem? So there is always two parts 
it's the understanding of the insights, uh, exploration, and there is the designing the solution and testing it. And uh, not every issue requires the same effort. So if you want to change, for example, an app design, you don't necessarily need to do a quant. You just, with a few interviews, some UX research, plus live feedback, you can get the data and, and change things to optimize them. But if it's a full journey that today is actually about blending the digital and the physical, then there are lots of interactions where maybe you, you, you need to spend some more time to understand them and send an ethnographer and have more data examined to, to make sure that you have the right diagnostic to make sure you can create the right solution. And so uh, I've seen in the ecosystem uh, of customer experience, people who are more on the upstream phase, like inside industry has always been, but we've decided to step out to be able to recommend some solutions that are behaviorally informed. But some players from the other side, like from the digital or from the design industry, have moved backward and try to include some of the knowledge of, of uh, insight industry or behavioral science to support their recommendation. So at some stage, yes, we are meeting each other, <laughs> but I would say the, the key difference is where do you want to put your effort? Uh, is it a big problem that requires a lot of uh, uh, investigation uh, or is it a small problem that's better to solve on the go, having live feedback from the market? And I would say, depending on the, uh, on the diagnostic, you would not use the same tools. That's very interesting. So, Richard, why don't you give us an example of a category or, or a brand, you know, that you work with, where I think you were able to successfully deconstruct the problem and, you know, sort of solve that by using some of the principles of behavioral science. I think that would just sort of, you know, make this, uh, you know, very lively. And I think, you know, people will be able to understand, you know, what this term really means and its its utility you know, for, for sort of different organizations, in this case, for any marketing organization. For example, uh, if we talk about money or, or, or life insurance, these are, are concepts where uh, most of the language is actually extremely complex. It's, it's uh, what behavioral science would, would call system two. You need to think about percentage, rates. Uh, you need to, to plan for the future, things that we're not very good at doing as humans because we we tend to focus on the present and we're not very good at probabilities. Input of behavioral science is, is actually offering insights on how do people think about money? How do they categorize their expenses? There's been a few experiments to show that people do not consider money as something that can be expensed the same way if it's for their kids or if it's for their uh, career or if it's for, for their retirement. So having goals and having mental buckets help a lot make arbitrations. And by understanding how people make their arbitrations, actually some fintech companies have created services uh, like N26, for example, is proposing different boxes for you to, to allocate your money. Uh, and it's actually reflecting your way of thinking and not the banker's one. And so helping a lot, both for managing the short-term expenses, but also for planning for the future. So it's just about reframing your ways of presenting your offering or your, um, your product, particularly if it's technical, in terms and, and a presentation that are easily understood by customers because this is the way they actually think. Right. So I think you used a very interesting term, you know, uh, you run experiments. You know, this is, this is a term that a traditional insights professional won't use. When they go into a boardroom, they'll say, I'll conduct a survey. I'll do a focus group discussion. I will come back recommending what you really need to do. Versus a behavioral scientist is now going into a boardroom 
and and really sort of telling uh, you know the corporate leaders that i would run experiments for you which in one way could mean that you know those experiments could be successful but that can also mean that those experiments can fail do you think that you know is this the reason why um, you know at least from where i look at it uh, you know behavioral science has hasn't been adopted at a mass scale within corporates because i think this this concept got originated you know more at the back of public policy and especially i think once you know richard and cass wrote their book nudge that's where i think the whole concept became more commercially adopted but i think at least you know in southeast asia wherever i go and you know all the clients that i meet um you know for them behavioral science is still a relatively uh new space and for those who know about it i think you know they would just brush it away by saying that's common sense what's new right so like i mean you just explain right insurance um let's not talk about some assured let's not talk about you know you know all the jargons that we use let's make it simple for people so that you know they can do the right mental accounting but i mean you go and you know speak to a cmo in insurance company it's very hard to explain that there is lot more to it rather than just saying yeah that's common sense i knew about it so from from your perspective how do you see brands adopting behavioral science and what's been your experience and why i ask this question to you is that you've had a very interesting career graph you yourself you know was working for one of the global fmcg firms so you understand how businesses operate and and you know do you think that you know there is space for uh, you know concepts like behavioral science you know within you know global marketing organizations okay so yes if if you relate to my experience actually i i did like the salmon i i swam upstream <laughs> uh because i uh, i moved from the uh, operational aspects from the marketing career into insights and now into behavioral science and yeah if i'm here it's because i think that i believe strongly that there is a huge opportunity but the challenge that you mentioned is uh, how do we move science into something that everyone can use every day um and and that is a, a, a challenge but if we take a step back uh, why it has worked in public policies one of the reason is because first it's a, it's any nudge or any intervention could can be played at scale um so second reason Uh, is that any percentage on this on the wide scale can immediately get, get some some sense of uh, ROI, which uh, in a time where governments are a little bit uh, uh, short uh, of money was something very um, uh, very well received. So I think nudge uh, has gained uh, a lot of credibility because of the the promise it's offering, which is actually something that brands would also be interested in, but also because the condition like having a lot of uh, uh, a wide base and the ability to publish whatever you, you, your results are be they failures or success is something that has uh, helped prove that it does work and i think one of the reason in western countries behavioral science has has gained traction is because there are some publications by very serious scientists showing that yeah it's not just fancy uh, interventions it's things that do work and create um either welfare or savings but they do have a benefit so if i look at brands now that have uh, adopted because we we can say not all the brands have adopted it well uh, the ones who have scale who have data and were able to run experiments in a very easy way meaning most of the time digital platforms have invested a lot 
in behavioral science from the very beginning. So be it uh, an Amazon or, or Grab here or a couple of others uh, who can do that uh, on a, at scale. Actually, I think they they were the first to adopt and I, and. Lots of digital or uh, related to uh, uh, digital platform um, areas can do easily experimentations, which is not the case of all the sectors, and particularly the ones who are in the brick and mortar. So I think one of the uh, challenges now is to translate uh, this understanding and this experiment uh, philosophy into the real uh, world. I mean, the, the one of the brick and mortar, the one of the uh, physical interactions, um, with the same agility. And I think this is something that's happening currently because uh, all the lean startup or agile methods are trying to, to promote prototypes to get feedback. The question is how much time, money, and, and effort can we place into the experiment uh, versus go direct and get the feedback from the market. And I think this is, this is here where science and business are going apart. <laughs> uh, one is um, sometimes very system one, intuitive, and would prefer go and launch and get the feedback from the market and adapt. And the other is more trying to demonstrate the impact, controlling variables, which takes more time and uh, rigorous uh, experimentations. So in my opinion, uh, one of the reasons is why um, companies have not adopted uh, behavioral science today is that probably it's still a bit complicated like uh, it looks like so it's when, when it looks obvious it's because you're a victim of the uh, uh, curse of knowledge when you know the the answer it's it's difficult to forget that you didn't know it before uh, but most of the learnings can inspire actually uh, marketers but they have to be simplified with the risk of oversimplification, which researchers would go like, oh, <laughs> this is not something that we're ready to do. So because human nature is very complex, uh, how do you get the le right level of simplification and how do you build bridge between science and business? And, and this is where I think I've, I've, uh, I've found a few interesting um, bridges, just in terms of vocabulary of how do you um, onboard uh, a leadership team to understand that they may have to change their perspective on their customers. Um, this is more about of a cultural change internally. Um, and I've had a lot of advocates uh, who are really keen on behavioral science, but they, what they face is internal barriers. Like I'm trying to explain others, but <laughs> they don't get it. So I think where we have to make a bridge and where agencies like us can add value is translating the vocabulary of behavioral science into a vocabulary that uh, marketers or customer experience directors understand and making it simple for them to try and adopt. And when you start with that, we start small, you can, you can actually raise the, the uh, internal awareness of what it is, what it delivers and with a few case studies it's very easy then to uh, to expand so my experience in Europe was that a couple of big brands like BNP for example it's a bank over there have started with small experiments and very soon they could uh, measure the results in terms of uh, either recruitment, conversion, adoption, if it's a new new product or new service. Um, and that served as an internal support to drive ease the rollout, which has happened on the academic side by publication, which cannot happen on the private side because you cannot publish a lot of things that are very confidential. So this is also a barrier. So I would say 
if you're able to onboard a team uh, to create case studies with, with success internally, then you can uh, you can make it a, a real differentiator. But the big question is who owns behavioral science internally? And so having the right sponsor can make a hell of a difference. Yeah, I mean, those are those are sort of all valid points. And I think that, you know, sort of possibly stands in the way of, of brands, um, you know, sort of really adopting behavioral science at scale. I think you made an excellent point around public policy that, you know, why, you know, this concept took off and, you know, why so many people took note of it is because of the sheer ROI. Right. I mean, if if somehow governments can explain it to public that, you know, they've spent less money to create even more impact. I think that's 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 a very happy marriage. Right. Because at the end of the day, you know, this is all very important taxpayer money. But I would also argue that, you know, even a CEO would be interested to see how can, you know, his or her, you know, ROI increase, you know, by by sort of, you know, making less and less you know, marketing spends. But I think one thing that, at least in my experience, I've seen, which has been pretty successful, you know, with with C-suite, is when you actually go to them, pitch an idea which is quite scientific, which is quite insight-led, but at the same time, you know, has a very strong actionability attached to it. So instead of saying that, you know, why don't we create, you know, three different creatives and then, you know, sort of go for a very regular, traditional sort of concept testing, Right. And then, you know, sort of propose that, you know, this concept would work better versus I think, why don't we put all the three out and, you know, sort of, you know, quickly test it in the tech world, because I think we'll have behavioral data to suggest which concept, you know, is is sort of, you know, working better than, you know, some of the others. So, yes, I think those are those are sort of very relevant points. But something that I would want to focus on now is I think you uh, shared some of your French experience and, you know, how things happen in Europe. Um, I think you've you've spent a couple of years in China as well, which is a very interesting, but at the same time, a diagrammatically opposite market to Europe, right? And now you are in Singapore, right? And I think I think the Southeast Asian way of doing things, you know, would be slightly different from, you know, what you have observed in China. When you talk about a concept like behavioral science, does culture impact how you design behavioral science experiments? And, you know, how you have to actually receive outputs, because I see a lot of knowledge getting exported from West. And I've also seen a lot of clients, you know, be it in public policy or in brands, just blindly adopting uh, that, you know, if something has worked in UK or in France, you know, they have this inherent assumption that it will also work in Singapore or in China. What has been your experience, you know, uh, and I think through that lens, if you can just, you know, help us understand that, you know, what role does culture play? In, in understanding behavioral science and in implementing some of those techniques to get a higher ROI, that'll be very exciting. Just to let you know that even in Europe, uh, what works in, in France does not work in Germany or not necessarily even in, in UK. The common ground of behavioral science is uh, to be victim of uh, its self-selection bias. Like uh, it's true that it's been mentioned that behavioral science is a bit weird. It's an acronym to say that a lot of the experiments that have been run by scientists are actually uh, from uh, uh, wise, uh, English, English-speaking, industrialized country, rich, and and democratic. So it's kind of a, a bias in the bias. And uh, the question is, would this work in other in the other regions? I would say the idea of having customer behavior or, or consumer um, understanding driven by other factors than just the rationality that uh, is uh, developed by the economic science is a common ground 
whatever the country, most people would acknowledge that w the reason why we do what we do is not necessarily driven by our rationality. Um, and but the thing is, irrationality is something very de de depending on the on the culture. So um, the what you can what can travel, it's it's kind of a interesting uh, travel experience. There are a few biases that do travel well uh, because they are connected with uh, what we are as human uh, beings and how our brain is uh, is uh, is wired actually. So um, all biases around action biases that we've tested in different countries here in Asia, in China also, uh, like framing, like uh, uh, availability heuristics, like uh, connecting the dots with, with uh, intuition. All this um, is something that happens everywhere with different magnitudes, but they are kind of uh, easily transferable. But whenever you talk about social or social norms, for example, biases, uh, this would have to be taken, observed uh, very carefully locally. And culture is is one of the key dimensions that would influence actually people's behavior. So um, you cannot <laughs> you cannot uh, say that there are uh, recipes that you can cut and paste. You cannot even say that there are biases that can be at play without having checked what's really at play in the location. That's why we have teams, and I myself rely on, on teams uh, in Shanghai, in, in Hong Kong, or in uh, here in Singapore, um, and some in the different regions where, wherever we, we have to, uh, um, to have an intervention, just to understand clearly what is the context. We're saying context is king. Uh, in, in behavioral science. And that's all the more true with culture. And I would say, as a traveler, um, the lighter you travel, the better, because uh, you also have to be to let yourself be surprised by some irrationalities that you will discover only when living with people in the place where you are. And there are levers that you would not suspect and you could not even uh, uh, use if you're not aware of, of deeply of what the culture is locally. So there, there are irrationalities like uh, superstitions, uh, like um, family relationship, that if you don't get into the, 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 the deep understanding of what's at play, um, you cannot leverage that in, even in terms of marketing. So culture is a source of inspiration that has been uh, explored by other disciplines than behavioral science. Uh, well, they could now fit in, but anthropology or um, a lot of cultural uh, psychology have explored this. And I think there are great resources to um, create intervention, whether you call them nudge or not, I don't care. <laughs> I'm agnostic uh, in terms of uh, method, but I would say you cannot go and, and cut and paste uh, solutions that were successful in some other geographies. Uh, what The only thing you can, you can uh, use is the thought process and some of the assumptions that you should explore. Because only when you know what you, you're seeking, you have more chance to identify, <laughs> to identify it. So I think by doing the right um, uh, experiments or, or by observing the right details in the environment, you may be able to spot some influences that uh, a simple interview would not uh, give you because people are not even aware that their environment is, has such an important influence on their behavior. Richard, you've been a marketeer and from a marketeer, you've now turned to a behavioral scientist. As a marketeer, you would have used a lot of insights. You would have you know, conducted tons of research 
in its old-fashioned way. You know, you would have commissioned a lot of surveys. Uh, you would have read a lot of survey reports. You would have seen, you know, the retail data. And now I think, you know, you are in a field that possibly sort of positions itself as a substitute that instead of doing a very old traditional way of researching, why don't we, you know, go down the route of behavioral science and, you know, see if we can, you know, answer some of the more complex questions. In your view, and I think this is very important for me to know from a behavioral scientist, you know, that how you think and how you how you see this whole industry evolving. Do you think that in next five years, the good old uh, insights uh, practice would die its natural death? That's an interesting topic. Actually, first, I'm not a behavioral scientist. I'm an applied behavioral practitioner. You're a practitioner. Yeah, I'm a practitioner, and I really don't want to confuse any, uh, I mean, my, my background, my studies, everything can tell you I'm a practitioner before I'm a, in any way a scientist. But I work with scientists, and I think it's very important that in our team, we have what we call a system one, system two team. So uh, we, we basically have profiles who are, are business-oriented, uh, and some of them would, and my, myself first, would use the data and the behavioral data to try and drive analysis that, like, in the old-fashioned way, this has not gone. <laughs> because if you don't understand the market, the, the drivers, the players, behavioral science will never be able to give you additional insights. I think it's the combination of the two that makes a difference. And um, I've just done a project recently, and the first thing I've asked are, do you have data uh, analytics uh, from, from Nielsen to, to know a little bit about who are your customers, like uh, what are the, the switches? Um, and there is a lot of behavioral data available. And I think this is one of the reasons I, I moved into behavioral science later on, because I started in the, in the fresh dairy industry where any behavior would be easy to 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 see because this, this short life cycle of products can directly impact your sales so it's a kind of a pre-digital way of <laughs> observing the reaction of the market so and i think behavioral science will never succeed if it's trying to replace whatever is already here and has proven successful uh, but the the merger and anytime there is competition, there is a risk of being discarded as marginal or, or not understanding what's really going on in the business. Uh, and I think this is one of the key issues of some scientists who've tried to enter some big companies, drive their conclusion, and they've, they've been, I mean, not so successful because they, they do not understand the uh, internal uh, organizational challenges. Uh, they do not have necessarily... Um, the stakes uh, of, of the business decisions that have to be made, um, and they do not speak the same language. So I think where we can add value is try and merge uh, behavioral science with the knowledge that is very often a sectorial knowledge. And I see a lot the future of behavioral science becoming a sectorial plus. So the knowledge of the whatever you collect as data when you're in the gaming industry can give you a, a lot of uh, behavioral insights. If you add a little bit of uh, behavioral science, you can you can improve your your performance. If it's in the uh, another industry like e-commerce, of course, behavioral science can add insights on how do you close the sale, how do you improve conversions. So, uh, and if you are in FMCG, I, I would say. There are a lot of opportunities to move away from the traditional marketing of persuasion, where you just consider uh, the big idea of uh, being the solution for the brand. Like today, it's, I would talk about purpose or things that advertising industry is pushing. And, and maybe move a little bit more into 
things that look a little bit more less strategic, but actually that drive behaviors in the store, uh, in, in promotion, street marketing, things that could be considered as not as uh, fancy as the traditional marketing would like to, uh, but uh, actually can pretty much drive behaviors if they are informed by behavioral science. So I think every industry has areas where they can improve their uh, behavioral efficiency uh, by adding a bit of behavioral science, uh, having people who know both the industry and behavioral science knowledge. That's why I believe a lot in, in training, in having people who are from the sector be enthusiast and advocate uh, for, for behavioral science, but applied to their issues, not trying to solve problems that have already been solved by traditional research or, or UX or, or whatever, but make sure that they add value where they are expected to. Richard, what I found fascinating in what you just shared is that in your organization, there is a separate system one and a separate system two team. I've, I've actually never heard that before, right? Uh, so I think that's fascinating. So why don't you just, um, you know, help us explain that a bit more? And in that old, you know, in that process, also just, uh, you know, let us know more about, uh, you know, BVA. You know, uh, it's its heritage. What exactly it's it's doing right now, and your sort of plans in Southeast Asia. So I think that'll be a good closing segment for us where we just learn a little bit more about your organization. Okay, so basically, uh, as I mentioned, we, we are born into the insight and market research uh, world. And in 2013, looking at uh, the experiments that the BIT was doing in the UK, we've decided that we could create a the equivalent, but for the private sector. So we created an, a nudge unit, and it, it actually was quite successful very quickly because we could provide solutions to clients. And I think one of the magic of the word nudge, just like the word insight was created for the advertising industry, is that nudge is giving a word to provide solutions that are informed by uh, behavioral insights. So from there, we could we could actually market uh, solutions from behavioral insights and not just attitudinal insights, because most of the insights that were used previously were attitudinal insights. And from there, um, so we've we've created solutions, and what you mentioned about system one, system two, is that because we are organized with practices, so we have people who are expert in some sectors or, or dimension of the business, and others who are real, uh, I mean, researchers with a strong background, academic backgrounds. And uh, because we have both in the teams, um, anytime there is a, a question from a client, we have our system one and system two talk to each other <laughs> and debate. Uh, and one very important thing arbitrate what are the resources needed to, to solve this problem. Because this is the main reason why System 1, System 2 exists in our brain is to save our capacity, our brain power. Um, and I think this is the same issue in, in companies. There are lots of things that are very interesting to explore. But with, when you have limited resource, how do you optimize in a dynamic way? And so this is what we do by having teams that are mixed with uh, researchers plus people from the business who can lead and challenge uh, and make sure that the effort that we put in observation on creating the solution is adapted to the output uh, that we expect. So the, this is how, how, how we are 
working today. And basically what we do is we rely on the market research companies that we have in uh, different parts of the world. So for example, here in Asia, uh, so I, I rely on uh, for mostly for the FMCG sector on PRS and Vivo. They are here in Singapore, but also in Shanghai. Um, and this is where I'm sitting uh, in, in the office when I can go to the office. Uh, but we also have a, a, a business uh, called BVABDRC, who is more on the service sector, like uh, bank, hospitality, and other, other industries. They're in Singapore, but also in Australia. Um, and we also have a business in, in Hong Kong, which is more about uh, mystery shopping and, and mainly for luxury brands. So what we do is that because we have the capabilities to observe what's happening in the different uh, touch points or, or shops or wherever we need to uh, collect insights. Now what I'm doing is that I, we, we work out solutions for existing clients, showing that reusing their knowledge or if we need a, an extra research, we would we would carry it, uh, of course. But most of the time, we can reuse some of the knowledge that is from the category to, to, to define where we can add some value. How do we create a nice how do we apply, for example, the pick and end rule uh, for a customer experience journey for a luxury brand is something that we've designed because we know the sector, we know the, the customer, and in between, we, we know how to bridge the two worlds to make sure this is applicable for the salespeople, for, for the people who design the, the, uh, the shops or, or the marketing actions. Richard, those are those are fascinating, uh, you know, ideas, and I think I'm I'm quite excited about you know actually what you guys do. So I I just wish you all the best. I think you've just come to Southeast Asia. I think this is a great place to be. So you know, enjoy food, enjoy the culture here, and it was great to have you on Recast today. Thank you, you know, for joining us. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Recast with me, Saurabh Sardana. If you like what you heard, subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Don't forget to leave a review and rating on your favorite episode. We will be back with a brand new episode in next two weeks. Also, if you want to chat with me, connect with me on LinkedIn or Twitter.